Hello, it's Rudy. I'm excited to welcome you to another episode of Second Chance Cinema. This one is The Last Action Hero. And if you're surprised that this would be fodder for Second Chance Cinema because you love it so, I agree. But the top review on Metacritic sounds like this. If there's one thing going for Last Action Hero, not counting Arnold Schwarzenegger, of course, it's the construction of it all. Even if this intermixing of kid fantasy, meet PG-13 hero Austin O'Brien, and adult shoot-em-up, Hollywood insider jokes, and cheap Arnold puns doesn't completely bowl you over, it's clever and intriguing. At least mostly. This other big summer movie, this rival to Jurassic Park, is not seamless. Structurally, it can be a little haphazard and messy. The humor sometimes hits, sometimes misses. It'll depend on what mood the audience is in. A 7.30 crowd could roll in the aisles over this, but the 9.45 folks might sit through this stunned. It's that kind of movie. But if Action Hero has its dead spots, it can also be funny, very funny. Take Arnold playing Hamlet, but story momentum is often lost. The drama doesn't keep you gripped the way Terminator 2 Judgment Day did, or that far superior dimensional fusion fantasy Back to the Future. Action Hero, with multiple cameos from Sharon Stone, Hammer, I believe that's probably MC Hammer, and Jean-Claude Van Damme, and a myriad of others, has a quorum of good moments, and, and more than enough of Arnold to satisfy the crowd. As for those smart alecky lines, they come at you like frenzied bullets, hoping desperately to connect. Some are better than others. Could I speak to the drug dealer of the house? <laughs> Asks Slater sweetly when villain Dance opens his mansion's door. Danny also has an amusing daydream at the beginning when he pictures Slater as Hamlet in an action movie version of the play Something's Rotten in the State of Denmark, says the announcer in an imaginary movie trailer, and Hamlet is taking out the trash. Perhaps that was the movie Arnold should have done. Yikes, I disagree. And so does MC and Spro and a special guest with this episode. Without further ado, Second Chance Cinema will begin. All right, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another star-studded edition of Second Chance Cinema. I am one of your hosts, MC. Star-studded because we have a special guest today. First, let me introduce my other co-host, Spro. Spro, how are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Always excited to talk movies. Awesome. And our co-host today is your co-host. How many podcasts do you have now? I've lost. I I, I lose track. (laughs) Well, I have none. I don't think I'm a purveyor of any. I'm a co-host of three, though. Okay, so from the uh, Spro and Lee take on the Academy podcasts, which your name is featured first, so I'd argue that you could claim some degree of possession if there was ever a it, nasty divorce. It's a rhyming thing. Like it's, a, it's poetry. Oh, I get it. I get it. We are joined by your co-host, Lee Charles. Lee, how are you? Oh, good. Happy to be back on uh, Second Chance, ready to restore a little R-E-S-P-E-C-T for yet another underappreciated film. Did you write that down? Yeah, fuck yeah, dude. I write everything. I <laughs> All right. How long does it take you to like write down a, I don't know what you'd call it, like a ad lib script or is it just over the course of like several weeks? It's over the, it's over the course of some, of some time, but uh, probably way longer than it should. (laughs) Well, fair enough. It's, we appreciate your commitment to the podcasting world. Oh, I'm happy Um, to be here. 
We're here to talk about a movie that, like most of our films, I sort of forgot about, though this one's less easy to forget about because it's so larger than life and bombastic and over bombastic, not bombastic, bombastic and over the top. And then upon watching it again, I realized that I think I've only seen this movie two times, including the time that I watched it for this uh, episode. And the movie that we're going to be discussing is Arnold Schwarzenegger's less than impactful opus, The Last Action Hero, which I believe came out in, was it 93? Yep. Yeah. 93, which was a big year, specifically the year of Jurassic Park. And this movie, for whatever reason, well, for several reasons that we'll talk about later, just kind of failed to gain any traction. And that's a shame because upon the second viewing, I quite enjoyed it. And I feel like as a kid, I guess I would have been like 12 or 13, 12 when that came out. I would have enjoyed it for different reasons. So before we get into the wheel of poetry and the uh, the meat of the show. Oh, bro, shit. I have to write a poem. <laughs> yeah. You, well, you might uh, not just a poem, but possibly a song or a- Oh, no. Uh, I forgot yeah. about that part. <laughs> Every, everybody seems to forget about that until they're like, actually on the show. It's, it's, it's very like coincidental. It's the only thing we do cons- consistently. It really is. Everybody's, <laughs> everybody's so taken aback and taken by surprise. It's like, do you even listen to the show? Like, yes, <laughs> bro. Your thoughts on? Uh, I'm assuming you you did a repeated viewing, uh, an additional viewing of this movie recently. Your initial thoughts? Um, I think I'm in the same boat with you, where I was just kind of blown away. Like, I remember seeing this in the theater. It's actually one of those like the like the plot of the movie is something that I think almost everybody kind of envisions for themselves. Like, what if I was in the movie? at the time like what I, what would i do right like it's not that far fetched and really this plot device could be used more and more i think the recent steven spielberg movie ready player 1 has it where there's like a virtual reality video game where you are put into a movie and you have to then like say the lines and everything to try and like move on through the movie and get to the end like you conquer the movie by being in it so like and I was always like, oh my gosh, I still <laughs> want to be the kid from Last Action Hero. I want to go into the movies that I enjoy. So as I was watching Last Action Hero, all these thoughts that I had back in, I mean, this was released June of 1993. So I was... 10 years old, all those like 10 year old thoughts were coming back and being like, man, I really wish this was a thing. And I wish there was more last action heroes, even now that we're like rebooting things. Like I was like, why isn't this gotten a sequel yet with anybody? You know, The Rock should be in last action hero yeah. too. I would think. Mm, that's an interesting take. Yeah, I would love to see a little kid get sucked into dread. <laughs> that would be awesome. Lee, your thoughts on, uh, you know, your most recent viewing compared to when we saw it as little boys with more, more hopes and dreams than memories, more innocence. Oh man. It's just, it's still so fun. Still so quotable. It's really luscious looking too. I think even after 29 years, that's real testament to that movie that it, it looks great. It's funny as hell. It's got a bitch in fucking soundtrack and it's got the kind of cast that a lot of films really would die for. 
Charles Dance being my favorite, the guy that plays Benedict. The guy that directed that movie, The Last Action Hero, John McTiernan, also directed my two favorite action movies of the 80s, Predator and Die Hard. Um, I didn't see this one in the theater, but it was all over. We had HBO for free when I was growing up, and it was all over Whoa, HBO. Yeah, Whoa. dude. Check we, out this rich motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> we moved into a new house, and we had HBO for like nine years, and then all of a sudden one day it just stopped. <laughs> That's pretty funny, actually. But we had, yeah. <laughs> it was HBO carried over from like the previous tenant? No, we built, my, my parents built that house <laughs> i have no idea how we had hbo it's a mystery to this to this day interesting uh, but yeah i it was all over hbo and i probably watched it 30 times uh, as well as the hbo first look which they frequently aired right before the, the movie so the like half hour behind the scenes i would watch that as well i watched this movie a lot it's got a lot uh, well there's definitely a lot to unpack in the last action hero from the like you mentioned the cast the cameos the world building the integration of all the meta elements the the weird reasons for why it just did not, you know, take the world by storm the way it had hoped. Before we get into all that, though, let's go ahead and pull up the Wheel of Poetry. The Wheel of Poetry is our most long-standing tradition. Well, aside from us being the hosts, I suppose, and talking <laughs> about movies, in which we put up a wheel with six different types of poetry slash prose possibilities, including haiku, song parody, acrostic. What does that say? Oh, ABAB. I thought that said ADHD. I'm reading off the scribble. Toast slash roast and limerick. And when we spin the wheel, we'll land on one. And um, Spro, behind the soundboard, will play the trailer. We have that much time to write whatever we land on in tribute to the movie. So, Lee, you expressed some concerns about your attempt. You think you're going to handle it? Yeah, I got an idea already. already Well, you don't know which one it's going to land on. So, Ah, that's true. Hope you've got I hope you've got some flexibility in that uh, that idea. So Spro, uh, let's do the spinning wheel. All right, hit it. We have landed on Limerick. So Limerick, I don't feel like we've done a Limerick in a while, but Limerick, for those of you listening who aren't familiar with Limerick, it's the classic, there once was a man from Nantucket form of uh, poetry in which the first, second, and fifth lines rhyme, and then the third and fourth lines are also supposed to rhyme. So, all right, so Spro's going to play the trailer, and during that time, we have um, what I would guess to be about two minutes or so to write our- Actually, this is a long trailer. It's three and a half minutes. Oh, nice. Awesome. It's like <laughs> the the Batman of trailers. Um, <laughs> we'll have that lo- that much time to write our limerick about Arnold Schwarzenegger's The Last Action Hero. Here we go. A great classic comes to the screen. Take thy hand, fair prince. Who said I'm fair? <laughs> to be or not to be? Not to be. Columbia Pictures is proud to present the screen's greatest action hero, Jack Slater. Slater! Don't even think it, Slater, you hear me? This is the Lieutenant Governor. Slater, here's what I do. The Governor gets here, call me. And Danny Madigan is his biggest fan. (laughs) Jack Slater. But tonight, 
a magic ticket. It's a passport to another world. We'll get Danny closer to the action than anyone ever dreamed. Holy cow! I'm in the movie! Who the hell are you? Don't shoot me! I'm Danny Madigan, I'm a kid! And you're going with him. Who is this twerk? And where is that smile on his face? I don't even know this kid. To a world that's bigger than life. This ticket is magic, and it really works. And better than real. You really believe that you're inside a movie, don't you? Yes! The bad guys are in there. I've seen it. On screen. Could I speak to the drug dealer of the house, please? Have a nice day. Have him killed. This summer, it's head-on thrills. I have killed people smarter and younger than you. Head-first excitement. I hate when it happens. He's got the ticket! Now I possess power. Real power. He's gone over to my world! In this world, the bad guys can win! The door must still be open, come on! If I go, how do I get back? And it's coming at you from both sides of the screen. Where am I now? This isn't the movies anymore, Jack. Please be careful. Things were different here. Damn it, that hurt. Arnold Schwarzenegger is Jack Slater. Wow! This hero stuff has its limits. And Jack Slater is... Everybody down! Down! The last action hero. The big ticket for 93. I'll be back. Ha! You did not gonna say that, did you? That's what you always say. I do? Not a bad trailer. Solid, long, got me excited, and I didn't even watch it. I was just listening. So, we're going to come back. We've got three potentially award-winning limericks. Am I right, guys? <laughs> Anybody <laughs> want to volunteer? Terrible. Anybody want to volunteer to go first? Is it a guest first? I thought oh, it was yeah, it's first. always guest first. Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> guest first. So, Lee, you're up. I feel like last time it was guest last, but okay. Uh, Danny Madigan is a cinephile. He gets sucked into the movies for a while. Slater's his dude. He's occasionally rude. My poetry is a shit pile. <laughs> oh, interesting. So you took yourself out of the limerick game, kind of like Jack Slater was taken out of the movie and that made sort of a was... meta commentary on yourself. Yes, yes. Wow. That's got layers. That... That's like an onion. <laughs> Thank you. An onion poem. Awesome. Uh, Spro, you want to go next? Yeah. Without even hearing yours, MC, I officially have the worst one here. Because I had to really, I got, I got distracted by the trailer. So my rhymes are forced. Um, <laughs> you do that sometimes. Danny ha- <laughs> but you're like, you know what? Thinking about it though, like sometimes you hear like, like Eminem can make words rhyme that don't rhyme. So I have faith. So I can't wait to, you know, I can't, I'm excited. I'm excited to hear this. I feel like I almost want like a Jersey accent just to make the rhymes make sense. Do what you um, got to do. <laughs> no. Danny had a golden ticket. He ripped it, golden shimmies and sticked it. Faced with the choice to enter a movie or exploit Danny Mulligan helped Jack Slater win it. So first of all, it was Danny Madigan. <laughs> Mulligan. I believe, right? <laughs> Though, I mean, fairly fairly insignificant detail. Um, we'll talk about the, 
the kid character in a while, but that was I didn't think that was bad. What is what what was the like, sh- what was the shimmies? Uh, the golden because when he rips it, they have like the special effects of like the golden like sure you know oh, like when he rips right, the golden right, right, right the golden shimmies. Um, it's funny too because when you corrected me with the Danny Madigan, I changed it on my on what I wrote down as if I'm turning this in. <laughs> <laughs> like, like for a great I was like, oh yeah, no, yeah, not uh, Mulligan, it's Madigan. I'm gonna oh, change nice. that right now before you have to make teachers. All right, here's mine. <laughs> there once was a hero named Jack, his reality under attack. He wore really tight jeans while stealing the scenes, winking a nod when he said, I'll be back. Nice. Very nice. Pretty simple, Very right? Nice. So we <laughs> we're in this this universe where we start in it's California, right? Yeah. This kid or was it New York? I don't remember now. Oh, it's California. Yeah, okay. So he starts out in California. <laughs> this kid it's kind of a, a trope where he oh, like No, you're right. You're right. You're right. No, sorry about that. The movie's what? in LA. Madigan's in New York. That's what I thought. Okay. So yeah, so yeah. yeah. <clears throat> this trope of this kind of like I wouldn't say outcast, but like a kid kind of, you know, bound to his own thing is ditching school to go to the movies has a we'll call it a unique friendship with a an old guy who who lives at the like the last golden age theater in town that's about to be of course torn down and and turned into a multiplex and for whatever reason this old man nick lets danny come in and like watch movies ahead of time or like gives him his own you know personal screenings i didn't necessarily have a problem with that relationship i suppose in this day and age it might be a little more questionable but for all intents and purposes i think you know fairly fairly safe Fairly safe relationship just based on a mutual love of movies. Though, to be fair, Nick was a terrible projectionist because he fell asleep all the time and would just let the reels um, run out. During these interactions, Nick bestows upon Danny a magic ticket from Houdini, which somehow he says has powers beyond this world. Aren't we forgetting something? A ticket. Well, you gotta have a ticket, Danny, to see a movie. And have I got just the one? See, when I was about your age, Harry Houdini played this theater, and my pop took me backstage to see him after the show. And he made a gesture, Houdini did, like this. And all of a sudden, this was in his hand. And he said to me, he whispered, he said, this is a magic ticket. It was given to me by the best magician in India, and it was given to him by the best magician in Tibet. It's a passport to another world. It was mine, and now it's yours. And now it's yours. What's it do, Nick? I never had the courage to find out. I had the ticket for years, and I wanted to try, but uh, I guess I was afraid it wouldn't work. See, I was your age. Houdini was like a god to me. But what if he was faking? And then again. What if it did work? Yeah, well, what if it did? Well, Houdini said something else to me. He said, this ticket a mind of its own. It does what it wants to do. And that always made me just a little itchy. Well, 
I guess there's only one way to find out then, right? Please retain your stub, sir. Now, I'm curious because I, I don't recall Houdini having any sort of supernatural or psychic or mutant powers. So, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to forgive that that was a bit of a big leap, that he was able to create some sort of like MacGuffin device that glows, orange, glows yellow and emits electricity and somehow <laughs> like, you know, trans, right. transcends if if reality. If you were going to rewrite it, you know, it should be like Tesla or somebody that created the ticket. Possibly, well, yeah. Houdini, Houdini knew people. I mean, come on. <laughs> I don't, I mean, Houdini's affiliation with the dark arts, I didn't, I've never read <laughs> yes. about that. So, I don't know. Anyway, so as Danny is set to watch the newest Jack Slater movie, Jack Slater being Arnold Schwarzenegger's franchise character, the ticket kicks into action and sucks him into the world of Jack Slater, where he ends up in the back of Jack Slater's car during a high-speed chase, and then chaos and hilarity ensue. Yeah, I was going to just go back to the projectionist-kid relationship. Now, when I worked at Regal uh, Regal Cinema's Westlake Promenade 11, the projectionist would have us who are like 16 at the time and working at the theater, but the projectionist would have to run like the new releases uh, that were coming out on Friday. He would run them on Wednesday night to see if there was any flaws in the film or anything like that. And he was not a movie guy either. So he would invite us to sneak out of our homes because the he had to run them at like midnight. And so we would sneak out of our parents' houses and all like gather in like minivans and like go into the theater and see things on Wednesday night and tell them if anything was wrong, which nothing ever was. But so it's That's not awesome. that I, I, far off. It, it sounds like there's some <laughs> a few things wrong. An, an adult <laughs> encouraging children to sneak out of their parents' home to go join them at the movie theater. But let me tell you, watching Blair Witch Project at like 1 a.m. Oh two boy. days before it came out, like that that was a record because none of us knew that it was fake. And so, yeah, that was crazy. Well, all and right. And then like Tarzan was like the next week. So, okay. So, barring a little bit more from reality than I assumed, um, shame on me for being presumptuous. <laughs> so, the story kicks in kind of, we, we get glimpses of Dan. Danny's, Danny's kind of existence in the real world. His he's got a single mother who's you know of course like hustling to make ends meet. And do we get do we get a glimpse of him like at school? Oh yeah, him at school. Um, of course he falls into a daydream while his English teacher, who was Mr. Wilson's wife from Dennis the Menace is explaining Shakespeare. And actually, that was one of my favorite scenes that I'd completely forgotten about um, from seeing it before, where they start watching the, was it the Laurence Olivier Hamlet? Or mm-hmm. she referenced yes. she references that or something, and then he falls into his daydream, and Hamlet plays out, but it's actually Arnold Schwarzenegger slash Jack Slater. And it was interesting to me because she prefaces it by saying that we're about to take a look at sort of the first action hero. And so, it was a very heavy-handed reference. It was a very like, here's a brick in your face kind of connection, but not terribly done, I didn't think. And amusing and also fairly relevant. Shakespeare's Hamlet couldn't be more exciting. And though it may seem that he is incapable of taking any action, he is, in fact, one of the first action heroes. What you are going to see is a scene from the film by Laurence Olivier. 
Some of you might have seen him in the Polaroid commercial or as Zeus in Clash of the Titans. Oh, bosom black as death. Help, angels. All may yet be well. Now he's praying. And now I'll do it. So he goes to heaven. Don't talk, just do it. Do the same villain sent to heaven. Hey, Claudius. You killed my father. Big mistake. Something is rotten in the state of Denmark. And Hamlet is taking out the trash. Stay thy hand, fair prince. Who said I'm fair? No one's going to tell this sweet prince good night. To be or not to be. Not to be. What do you guys think? The first action hero would probably be Homer, right? I mean, depending o- on Odysseus. how you define action hero. Odysseus. Like, that man was, like, going around and conquering Medusa and, and stuff like that, right? Like, my old lit is worse than probably both of you guys, so I was just asking. I mean, not untrue. I mean, but the, the concept of, <laughs> like, she did the classic thing where it was like, you know, oh, you, you're reading the Odyssey? Oh, it's just like this book comic of X-Men. Like, there's so many similarities between the stuff that you love and the stuff that was written before it and she and they just go way over the top with it which you know again all of us kind of being in the fields that we're in i think can probably appreciate the oh yeah the nudge trying to connect from the teacher yeah desperately trying to connect you know to her 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 class that that's kind of not paying attention and but then she, I, and then she turns it on and he has olivia has one line he's like oh bosom black death <laughs> and then all the kids in the class are like bah! <laughs> Which fair. I mean, that's, you know, I would have laughed too. Fun and- fact is that the teacher is Dame Joan Plowright, who was Lawrence Olivier's third wife and widow. I already gave a fun fact about her. She was Mr. <laughs> Wilson's wife from from Dennis the Menace. How, do, how many fun facts right. do we need? After that, that sort of leads Danny back into the theater where Jack Slater 4 is the new movie that's going to be receiving its worldwide release in the next day or two. And Nick, the um, projectionist, has his advanced copy of it and he's going to let Danny watch it. And Danny's magic golden ticket gets um, activated and he gets sucked into the movie. As I'm saying golden ticket, I'm wondering if there's any possibility for a Willy Wonka crossover at some point in the future, like a (laughs) 
Jack Slater versus a Slater versus Wonka throwdown or something Timothy like that. Chalamet? Maybe. I don't know. It's, it's it, don't I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't stick a pin in anything these days. So once he gets sucked into the movie, it's of course like combinations of a fish out of water and sort of like three men and a baby kind of thing because Jack Slater is sort of unofficially charged with being like a babysitter to this kid, even though he shoes him away at every opportunity. And then gradually we see Danny start to kind of like poke holes in really Jack Slater's existence. And Jack Slater has like this identity crisis about like, what am I kind of like? I mean, it's a, there's levels to this movie. It's a deep, it's, it, it can, it could be presented as a deep think before we get into kind of the, you know, the finale and sort of a predictable ending and things like that. So Spro, when you said the last time you saw this was in the theater? Oh, well, the first time I saw it was in the theater. The oh, last right, time yeah. I saw it was in my office. Okay, so previously, before watching it for this show, you saw it in the theater. So watching it recently, I thought that like, like I was blown away by some of the dialogue and I didn't write anything mm-hmm. down, but I feel like and I watched it with closed captions on, which I always do because I, there's always something that I'll, I'll miss because um, especially the dialogue from the captain, like some of the insults and some of the like, some of like the risque stuff coming through sort of like floored me. Like, wow, this was a PG-13 movie aimed at kid. And he just said like cock and balls and all that sort of stuff. Like, um, and I don't, I, I can't confirm that that's actually what it was. But um, so seeing it, seeing it now, Spro, what was your just like kind of overall like feel of the movie? Was it smarter than you remember? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, like when I was a 10 year old kid, I wasn't getting, you know, I was understanding references. I was, I was understanding cameos, you know, like with everybody coming in and out. And at the time, like watching it now, there's a nostalgia that the kids today wouldn't really get. Like they don't understand how amazing it was that Arnold Schwarzenegger was looking at a Sylvester Stallone cutout of Terminator 2, you know, and, and those two people being on the screen, not after the Expendables happened and everything like that, but Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone, even a cardboard cutout of him sharing a screen is was almost the equivalent to me as an action, you know, lover back in the day. Lee brought up Predator and Die Hard, but I, I was a huge Schwarzenegger fan with Commando and Running Man and everything. And it was almost the equivalent of Robert De Niro and Al Pacino sitting down for coffee and heat, you know, like I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And you had Sharon Stone dressed as Catherine Chamel walking out. It was the action equivalent of who framed Roger Rabbit with all of these cameos and all these action stars coming in and out. Um, Interesting. So like for me watching it again, I also put on captions because I feel like I'm so busy. I need both the sides of my brain. Like I feel like the captions trigger the right side of your brain and the left side or whatever side I'm getting that confused, but you're fully in it. And so I was doing the same thing. And then there was just off the cuff references that I would have missed absolutely as a 10 year old that I was just like chuckling to myself as an adult. Did the captain say cock and balls? Do you remember that? Or am I just, he didn't say not. I can't remember cocky balls. I remember the, he does swear in his last little, like he says fucking Hershey highway or something like that. (laughs) That was one of them. That was Uh one of them. Yeah, that was one of them. Well, okay. So same question to you, Lee. What, what did you, what, how did this movie hit for you this time around after watching it on illegal cable for nine years? It, (laughs) Spro kind of stole something that I wanted to say when he compared it to who framed Roger Rabbit. I was actually going through my 
Rolodex. I'm trying to think of movies that are similar to this, and in in that you know you have these two uh, a fantasy world and the reality colliding, and more specifically, the movie world colliding with reality. And Who Framed Roger Rabbit was first on my list, but Who Framed Roger Rabbit's weird because those two worlds are are already overlapped, and no one is like, oh wow, there's tunes running around. You know, no one. It's just, it's normal. So it's kind of more like Purple Rose of Cairo, not quite as depressing as Purple Rose of Cairo, but yeah, I don't know. It, it, I, I don't, I, I, I become a little kid when I watch this movie <laughs> every time. It's just like, I'm quoting along with it. There's just, I mean, if you, if you ask me right now to write down all the, all the quotable things from this movie that I still do to this day, my brother and I do the, um, uh-huh. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. Roush, you're teamed up with the rabbi. Boy, hey. Yeah, 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 yeah. When he puts the tape on for his uh, for his ex-wife. Yeah, that was great. We still, like, if somebody's talking and we're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, it, I don't know. It transports me. It's a time time machine for me. So, I did find the dialogue that I was... Okay. <laughs> are you reading it on IMDb? Yeah. The you suck the blood out yeah, of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let me just go ahead and <laughs> I'm right. just going to do a reading here. This is Captain Decker. Um, I believe this was... Well, I don't remember where it was in the movie, but his character is that of a highly strung police chief, a cliche, always yelling at the hero, yet always sort of like reluctantly impressed by what the hero is able to pull off. And this is one of his, I guess you'd call it a monologue. He says, and I'm not going to yell it. I'm just going to read it like deadpan. He says, you suck the blood out of cotton picking toes I can take from you. I got the California Raisins cast is doing an all-male version of the Diary of Anne Frank doing the all-male version in my Frieza Siba. Tiny Tim has stepped onto a totem. So what? Y'all pee, you, you ball peen jackaminis. I'll slap the mouth out all, out all, out all the cock sucking tails I can take from you. Frida Fien, you know, you make the mayor in the library bush. You're, you're never gonna Aziza Bazizi's down at the beach. Go down to the beaches, you know, you take the chicken out the bag and stick it up. I don't know if that's, uh, that's the, did I read that right, Spro? Like, are those the words you you're, did, are well, your, those the words are you're, you're seeing? You did make one mistake. It's not you take, or it's not you make the mayor in the library bush. You take the mayor in oh, the library bush. Oh, you take the library. Okay, sorry. You take the mayor in the library bush. Now, props for a Diary of Anne Frank reference, making it into uh, an, an, an action fantasy movie. But yeah, when I, this must have been near the end of the movie, because when I saw the word cocksucking on the closed captions, I was like, wow, this is times have changed. You know, I mean, big revelation, right? But like, wow, times have changed. I almost want to give that speech to somebody and be like, <laughs> now, what is this person trying to say? <laughs> like a like a seasoned actor, like a, like ha- like have Michael Caine do this. Like, is that ad lib? Like, do you it's think gotta the like, screenwriter it's gotta put be a- Aziza Bazizis? And was no, like, no. <laughs> yeah, memorize that. Like, they probably just said like, hey, go nuts. Like, pretend, you know, you know the character, just start yelling things. Like, just start, start yelling, being loud saying silly things all that because like man tiny tim has stepped onto a totem what does that even mean <laughs> jackaminis so what jackaminis uh, that's frida frida Fri- frida fiend aziza bazizis i don't know <laughs> 
but um i'm sure the ratings board you know they didn't have the script in front of them a and b <laughs> like you said it was ad lib so they were just like probably watching that having no idea what the guy was saying you set the bread on it, cut the toes like a take from you. I got the California Ranger, I got the Dona Omea Frenzy, and the Dara Ann Frank, Dona Omea Frenzy, and in my first slipper, Tiny Timber, step going to the toilet. So what? That. You ball peen, Jack Aminas, I'll slip the bread on it, cut the second toes like a take from you. You know, you take the bread on the man, you're never gonna get down the beach, you're gonna have to beat it. You know, you take the chicken off the back, you stick it out. Well, see if this is clear enough. Give me your badge, and this time you won't get it back. Maybe, yeah. I mean, if I suppose if they didn't have the closed caption on, it was probably easy for them to just kind of like tune out okay. and classify this as just like gibberish, which essentially it is. But <laughs> they did throw the word cocksucking in there and a Diary of Anne Frank reference. And yeah, he was one of the characters that was meant to be sort of a send up of the action movie genre, which, you know, not not too far from the case, I would say, in the early 90s. I mean, and actually, as I say that, I'm struggling to think of a, a police captain from a movie that actually kind of like is over the top. Maybe I'm contradicting myself. The world in which Jack Slater exists is California. There's the stereotypical mob, though I don't know that there's a ton of like real life inspiration. Is there a California mob? Like, is there like a surfer? Oh, yeah. Vineyard mob, really? I'm sure. I mean, I I, yeah. I don't doubt I'm, that there is, but I don't feel like I don't know that. I, and I guess maybe that's just because everything I know about the mob I've learned from movies. Uh, um, but uh, <laughs> well, the yeah. mafia is like everywhere. There's a Jewish mafia yeah irish mafia like it's just it's just an underground government and they're not that they're in bad. kansas that the can oh somebody's been watching ozark they um <laughs> you're no, right it's casino casino i actually haven't been watching ozark so I don't oh watch casino ozark. that's right too oh. kansas city mom um uh-huh. but you're right bro we've talked about this before they're really not that bad they do a lot of nice things you know we read about like uh this might not be true it's either al capone or the founder of little caesars like paid rosa parks rent for several 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 years i'll have to fact check that one but that was my, that was mike illich the owner of uh, the well now deceased owner of the detroit red wings and little caesars little caesars okay wow you came wow. up with that name pretty quick how did you do that <laughs> i'm a red wings fan ah interesting the mafia the mob so i don't remember many characters names but essentially except for benedict benedict is the sort of classic heel he's got a glass eye that he changes out I don't know if it's like to reflect his mood or his intentions or what, but he's got different glass eyes with like one had a smiley face on it. One has a gun sight, et cetera, et cetera. And he's a kind of a crony, I guess, looking to extend his reach and his power. And ultimately, he comes into possession of the golden ticket and realizes that he can use it for evil in the way of either transporting himself to the real world universe, or I think he glosses over like all the characters that he could bring into the, I guess we'll call it the Jack Slater universe and help him commit his nefarious crimes. So one of the best scenes, I think, and again, it's very, very heavy handed. It's very like, like, okay, we get the point is when he goes into New York, Benedict, this is goes into New York with the power of the ticket kills a guy on the street and then like just to see what happens and he does it and then starts yelling something to the extent of like I've just killed a man does anyone care like I've just I'm I'm confessing I've killed a man and everybody just walks by him sort of like in complete apathy hello 
I've just shot somebody. I did it on purpose. I said I have murdered a man and I want to confess. Hey, shut up down there. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like the message there was pretty bold and clear. Just that, like, I guess in 1993, maybe, and, you know, in generations past and generations present, like, people look the other way, even when there's a guy in a bright white suit with a glass eye, you know, killing people on the street, for lack of a better metaphor. What do you think, Spro? Well, and I think, like, you're you're dead on where it's like, it probably was a multi-layered, but very quick, just small scene in this movie. But at the time, I'm sure at the beginning of the 90s and everything like that, they were talking about ultra-violent action movies, right? And all the people that die in them and whatnot. And so this little scene was kind of pointing out that one, early 90s New York, isn't Times Square even, is not the Times Square that we see today. They cleaned up New York a lot. And so I think he was just kind of showing like, you know, in the movies, the bad guys are chased down and hunted. And in real life, people just walk by. <laughs> so this is <laughs> so kind of, like, I'm trying to think of when the uh, the finale of Seinfeld was, because this is kind of a different take on the Good Samaritan law, in which, and I bring that up because it was the 90s. So like in Seinfeld, they witness a guy getting assaulted and they like point and laugh at him. Here, it's kind of a darker, gritty take where somebody gets murdered and people just walk by. But the sentiment is the same, like kind of nobody gives a shit. Movies will never be as violent, probably, as real life. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like the takeaway. I mean, yeah, as sad as that is, that's that's a great observation. Lee, what are your thoughts on that particular scene and all that uh, it conveys? I think, isn't there also, too, a scene where he, like, he sees somebody being assaulted and Benedict sees somebody being assaulted and he like rushes over and he realizes that they just took his starter jacket or his Jordans or something like that. Yeah. Shoes. Yeah. So yeah, it's a look the minute that the movie tries to make a point is where I'm like, all right, let's just, let's go back. Let's have Danny Madigan and Jack Slater, you know, trading quips and fucking (laughs) say this word. Hey, grow up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like that's the stuff that I, I yeah it benedict is great but the, you know when it when it tries to start making social commentary is is where it loses me a little bit so we've had this discussion about a bunch of different movies on the show where they kind of like don't know what they want to be like they're i remember specifically um when we talked about outbreak we were like does it want to be an action movie does it want to be a drama is it a suspense a suspense thriller is it you know like a sci-fi movie and it just like that was one of the reasons that you know while it was awesome it kind of just didn't click and this I think even back from the beginning scene where we were talking about Schwarzenegger in Hamlet, like you're right, there's a lot of thinkers in this movie, which is sort of predicating itself on literally being a movie you don't have to think about. Well, I do wonder because, and we were talking about this before uh, we started recording, was the movie Morbius, right? Like now that it's getting (laughs) panned on all fronts, like people are like, oh, well, the studio messed it up. Like it it was so much better before you guys got to see it. Similarly, with Last Action Hero is that like John McTiernan said, like, it was a great script. It was a Cinderella story, apparently of Danny. And then, you know, a bunch of things happened in the 25th hour that screwed it up. And then John McTiernan had to go back to Wyoming or something and and reevaluate his life choices. So it's like, I wonder what Last Action Hero was, because what I got, I liked, right? Like, Mm -hmm. 
I the only you know uh, Leah saying he checked out kind of when they went into the real world and tried to make social commentary. I checked out with death in this movie when death shows up. Oh, I'm kind of like, see, oh. I like that part. Just <laughs> <laughs> like 20 minutes after where you're saying like you started being like, let's it's get back. It's because it's, it's Ian McKellen. I got a soft spot for Surian. <laughs> but like at that point, I'm like, all right, let's kind of like wrap this up and leave the audience wanting more. And it just kept on going, kept on going. So, but like, I wonder what was what the studio turned up more of. Was it the um, meta jokes or what they turned or did they turn up more of like, we have to be more socially kind, like we have to tell the audience why this almost spoof of a movie exists, you know? That's interesting. So, I don't I know. know that you you we've glossed over one of my favorite characters, and he only came to mind when you mentioned death. Um, the Ripper. So he's a villain in the Jack Slater universe. <laughs> is he like a main villain, or is he like was he like one of Benedict's heavies? I don't remember. But he's a axe wielding, disfigured, creepy looking guy in a yellow rain slicker. Who, when you look at him, you're expecting like sinister plotting dialogue. But then he opens his mouth and talks, and he's just like a regular dude. <laughs> he's just like, "Hey, Jack, how's it going?" <laughs> but he's got like scars across. His- <laughs> he's got like Heath Ledger Joker scars, and he's got like um. You know, the rain slicker and this like badass axe that he assembles like in front of the camera. But then he opens his mouth. He's like, oh, hey, Jack, good to see you. We're on the roof. I've I've got your kid. And he's just got this like it it was not the voice I expected. Hey, Jack, what kept you? Are you all right, Danny? You know, I tried to change Jack. You know, I, I really tried to do what he told me to do, but... You know, I kept hearing that old music. That's how I knew you'd come here, Jack. Now lose the peace. Yeah. It's now between you and me. So let the boy go. Now we've played this number before, haven't we, Jack? Now, let's see what comes next. Uh, you throw the the the, uh, the gun away, right? Uh, we did that part, and uh, and then you tell me to let the kid go, and uh, and I'm getting bored. Why don't we just skip to the end? But aesthetically, he's like he's a cool villain. Like I would, I would, I mean, as a kid, if I saw him in a movie against, like, in a fight against, you know, an action hero where it wasn't a like metaverse kind of thing, like I thought he was he was cool. And then he comes back at the end. He comes back through the movies into the real world and shows up at the premiere of the Jack Slater movie. And all the reporters look at him and they're like, "Wow!" To whoever the actor is, you you showed up in costume. What commitment? Blah blah blah. Tom Tom Noonan. Tom Noonan, you showed up in costume. Um, you look, it's the Ripper on the red carpet, and, and then the actual Tom Noonan gets out of the limo, and they're like, "What the fuck?" Yeah, that whole that whole scene where like all the celebrities are on the red carpet, like Van Damme was there, um, Schwarzenegger himself was there playing himself. Sly MC Hammer was oh yeah MC <laughs> MC Hammer MC Hammer trying to lock down the rights for the soundtrack to Jack Slater Five very timely uh, very timely was Stallone there or was he just in the cardboard cutout I don't remember I, Stallone being there 
I could be wrong. I thought I thought he was I thought he was there. I remember Van Damme specifically. Then at the end it turns into this whole schmoz where Jack Slater is aware that the Ripper is in the real world world and is about to kill Arnold Schwarzenegger thinking it's Jack Slater. God, this is fucking exhausting. And Jack Slater has to stop him and all the while like bumping into himself, quote unquote, as Arnold Schwarzenegger and bumping into people who think think he's Arnold Schwarzenegger, but really he's Jack Slater. Like it's it's a it's it's a complicated execution. But it ultimately leads back to the beginning of the movie where the opening scene shows a scene from, I guess it would have been Jack Slater 3, where the Ripper is on a rooftop and he has Jack Slater. Was it Jack Slater's kid or was it just a random kid? It was Jack Slater's kid. Was yeah. it? Okay. So he's he's holding Jack Slater's kid hostage and there's this whole um, showdown between the two and, um, oh, right, because that's when the projection, that's when Nick falls asleep and just and fucks up the projection. And so they circle back to that whole theme at the end, except instead of Jack Slater's son it's jack it's danny in the position of the i almost said the riddler what's his name the rippers hostage the good news is that we get to see that badass flying axe shot twice where for whatever reason when the ripper throws his axe like a tomahawk jack slater's first instinct is to (laughs) fall backwards and um barely dodge it uh which it looked awesome but i don't know i mean i feel like i feel like the physics of that were not entirely considered uh when when shooting but again it looked awesome the finale of the movie sort of wraps things around and pays homage to the jack slater character that we're introduced to in the beginning spro you said that you were you the one who said you weren't a fan of the death character yeah well i wasn't a fan so when that all wrapped up i think we were about how long is this movie it was long for for a 93 movie it was like almost two and a half hours long i think yeah i think it's like 215 so at that point i'm like okay like the villains handled like we're all good and then it became this whole other thing and i was like oop we could have just nipped this you know and just and and went back to that's purely me though so you think it was overkill kind of having the death character show up i think at that point when we handle the ripper and you know like and everybody's getting back to life having probably it's probably 15 minutes worth 15 to 20 minutes worth of will or will not jack slater die and you know he's not Mm -hmm. you know like if he did die then the 15 20 minutes totally worth it because i have then i have to like re-figure out you know i guess my own existence or something but he didn't die and it was kind of a foregone conclusion so it was extraneous i would say extraneous sure or strenuous (laughs) it was strenuous definitely it's it's fucking strenuous to explain i'll say that but um it's cool though that he that he comes out that death comes out of uh is it um the seventh seal the ingmar Mm -hmm. bergman movie it kind of kind of makes you wonder why they haven't I guess you already mentioned Ready Player One, Spro, but I don't know. I I, th- I feel like they have an idea here, like sitting on a gold mine, where you could just like bring together some kind of an Expendables crew, but make it you know people recast as these you know recast somebody as the man with no name and bring him into a universe with 
uh, I don't know, Alan Grant from Jurassic Park. I'm blanking on, but action like, yeah, hero it, Alan Grant from Jurassic Park. <laughs> yes, he the looks most great. Contra- the, the most the most controversial nomination in Rushmore history, perhaps. <laughs> uh oh, no, <laughs> that was MC. Yeah, I nominated him as an action hero for our action hero. Or that's right. Yeah, and uh, I got and you got shot. I got down. shit on vehemently. <laughs> But so. yeah, I think it. I think they're sitting on an idea there, and that and that it's just cool to me to think that like a, a cinema nearby sensed the ticket, a character in a movie in a cinema nearby the acts, the occurrences in this movie sensed that somebody was dying. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but <laughs> I like it. The fact that the movies became self-aware is what you're yeah. applauding. Yeah, like they could come out of the screen and like meet up and hang <clears> out. <throat> hang out so that first or the last 20 minutes to me is almost like the last bit of uh batman v superman dealing with superman's death like it's a it's an entirely different movie all on its own like if you want to have last action hero 2 jack slater comes out of the movie gets shot they have no idea how to return him he's about to die here death is looking for him you know like that's a whole nother thing that could have been a wealth to explore but like to tack it on at the end of this movie i felt like no 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 let's just let's just conclude what we got here and and move on so the one of the parts that i recall being just like kind of blown away and grossed out by as a kid was when he's in the ambulance slater schwarzenegger is in the ambulance after being wounded and he um he's got the the respirator mask on and he coughs up blood into it like I think, Spro, you and I went to go see Ambulance not long ago and they put one of those on and that popped in my head. And I, for some reason, that's that will be etched in my mind forever. Him on the gurney, <laughs> coughing up blood into the respirator mask. And that's another part where it's like, this movie was, I don't want to say, I guess not risque, but like it pushed things. And it as silly as it was, there was some cool shit happening here. Oh, yeah. No, I texted you both uh, the line that really got me. But when Jack Slater looks at Arnold Schwarzenegger and says, because Arnold Schwarzenegger is like, oh my gosh, look, they, they got such good doubles. <laughs> my Schwarzenegger sounds like Zoolander. I don't know why. <laughs> and then Jack Slater like turns around and looks at Schwarzenegger and says, look, I don't really like you, all right? You brought nothing but pain. The studio should let me know when they're planning a stunt. You know, you're the best celebrity lookalike I've ever seen. If you get to Los Angeles, call my office. We can get your shopping center openings up. I don't really like you, all right? You brought me nothing but pain. Anson know that this was this movie was Arnold Schwarzenegger's baby. Like he put himself in the producer chair. He was they say like he was at all the meetings. He was approving a lot of the decisions. Like so that line, while you know, written in a script somewhere, like it had to go through Arnold Schwarzenegger. And so I feel like, even though I'm probably putting more emphasis on it than I should, that like if you were looking at yourself and being like, Look, I don't really like you, all right. You brought me nothing but pain, that's deep. <laughs> And I feel like there's times in my life that I probably would have said that to myself. Like so. you're right, and you're right. That's on the surface, it was a novelty. Okay, like it was like him talking to himself. That's a good commentary. That's a really, really like insightful interaction. And I'm sure it was not intended that way. 
Uh, I feel like we are like focusing on like the third act of the movie when the first two acts just are. I mean, even down to like Danny being like, look at this woman working at a video store. A woman this beautiful would not be working at a video. Like just line after line in the first two acts. Oh, yeah. Just bring me such joy. So, Spro, you're the screenwriter. Tell us more about like what got you to pop from from the script. Well, actually, I like the segue because I do want to talk about one of the screenwriters of this movie, Shane Black, who oh, I haven't yeah. read his work, but like I think next year I'm going to go through all the scripts. But listen to this like filmography that he has. He started with Lethal Weapon, which I don't think gets talked about enough nowadays. And then his second film is The Monster Squad, which I'm on record saying should be if Universal Studios wants to do its monster universe, that needs to be its quote unquote end game, a remake of The Monster Squad. And then you have The Last Boy Scout, which is amazing. Last Action Hero, The Long Kiss Goodnight, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, Iron Man 3, but then his last one was The Nice Guys. Like, this is one of those writers, if if you want to take writer viewpoint from me, and you like action films, if you see that Shane Black wrote the script, go see that movie in the theaters, because this is it's probably going to be something that you will actually enjoy. He was also in the original Predator. Who he's was Hawkins. he? In- Which one was he? He's Hawkins. Geez, your pussy's so big. Geez, your pussy's so big. She said, why you say it twice? I said, I didn't. Because... <laughs> <laughs> Because of the echo. <laughs> yeah, he's the dude with glasses that gets uh, snagged first. That was him? Yeah, oh, and skinned? And skinned, that's yeah. Sh- that's Shane Black, yeah. I did not know that. That's It's become like a boys club with Schwarzenegger, McTiernan, and Shane Black. Can't think of any other crossover. So maybe not a boys club, but a boys trio of these 80s and early 90s action heavies. What about the, uh, the dialogue that you enjoy? Do you have any other examples per chance? So the trailer, like I said, is like three hours or three hours, three minutes and 15 seconds long. There's no, and while it gives you pieces and parts, there's no ruining it because even the scenes kind of unfold naturally. And so I really, like even when um, he's giving, he's driving Danny around and Danny's like, that's the house right there. Like we would all recognize places that we've seen in movies and everything like that. And then Arnold Schwarzenegger just gives him his badge and like goes on the thing like, I don't need this anymore. I'm just going to drive around and say the bad guys are in. Yeah. <laughs> you, think you're, you think you're funny, don't you? I know I am. I'm the famous comedian Arnold Braunschlager. <laughs> like, it's just everything in the like in the first two acts is just very, very quotable. Yeah, it, so, gets, it gets to it has complete carte blanche to be as silly and stupid as it wants because it's mocking, you know, ice that guy, cone phrase. I mean, just <laughs> it just it takes all of the opportunities to be as silly as, as possible. And it's it's so delightful. Without being like overly silly, you know, like the Expendables, I like the first one, but like as you go along, like even like the Fast and the Fear, like everybody's taking the piss out of themselves, but in a way that you're like, I feel like you're kind of serious about this, where like Last Action Hero, it's spoofing itself but like with utmost respect for the movie itself right like we're gonna make a good movie with all of these things thrown in where like the other things is like we're gonna throw all of these things in and hopefully have a good movie the one that that still the stupidest line in the entire movie not just i know you're talking about scripts but i don't want to step on you but the stupidest line is kid who who does a doctor treat patients the the elbow on my jacket what's it doing wearing thin It's so stupid, but it's fucking hilarious. It's a stretch. 
because I would not have said wearing thin. I don't <laughs> I don't know if I've ever described <laughs> anything that way. Patience I get. Um, and what was the guy's name? The Carnegie Hall. How did, what was it? Uh, practice. Practice. That's right. How do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice that. Another one that's forgivable. But yeah, but I think also that like kind of, again, whether it was intended or not, shows the kind of ridiculousness that we love about those types of movies. They're just I mean, having, having Danny DeVito as an animated cat, it's just like who say who ends up saving their asses just ridiculous. I don't understand like the Sharon Stone cameo. I, I think I, I read the Wikipedia again for the movie before I watched it and saw that she was gonna be in it. That happened in like less than half a second. What was the point <laughs> of that? Why did they was that actually that was actually her, right? Like what yeah, why? Probably, I don't know. She was just that Catherine Chamel basic instinct character, especially with the police like the interrogation scene is like one of the most famous little I would say police interrogation scenes so like the fact that she's walking out of the police headquarters when they're all walking in is kind of like oh that makes sense oh are we supposed to assume that she was coming out of that interrogation scene like yes ah, because she's in the white dress and everything I see well and also Robert Patrick comes walking by right as the (laughs) T-1000 Spro it's funny he got a lot of work out of playing the T-1000 because as a it's Wayne's World too that he shows up in, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, <laughs> he got a lot of work as the T one thousand. In addition to being yeah. Robert Patrick, let's talk about like why this movie did not do as great as it should have. There's a lot of reasons this movie was poorly received. Allegedly, the shooting script was, and you said this already, it was just Cinderella's story, and it was you know Arnold and McTiernan were like, oh, it's perfect. It's drastically different from what was originally presented to Arnie. I guess one test audience hated this movie so much that rather than delay the film to make any changes, the producers just took all the common cards and put them in a drawer and forgot about them. The director, again, John McTiernan, he says that the movie was practically assembled out of right out of the camera. Um, and according to another source, they were still, I don't know if this is true, they were still shooting scenes for this movie one week before the premiere at the Village Theater in Westwood. So the original script got hatcheted, the production was bloated, and the final product was rushed. But it also comes down to timing because Jurassic Park came out the weekend before Last Action Hero and Sleepless in Seattle came out the weekend after. So the audience was split all over the place. And the people who did show up were kind of still in that T2 refractory period. This was the first movie he made after T2, or at least the first action movie, I think. And I think the audience kind of expected that same level or even a higher level of action and special effects. And Last Action Hero just isn't that movie. But I think if they I think if they'd let some of these ideas that they had cook for a couple more years, I really think that this movie would have had a better chance. But, you know, this was Arnold's this was the combo breaker for Arnold's run. He still had box office office successes following following Last Action Hero, True Lies, T3 made a shit ton of money, Eraser surprisingly made a shit ton of money. Batman and Robin made a shit ton of money in the Expendable series, but a very few of his efforts post 93 have any like lasting impact or legacy and please do not say jingle all the way. Arnie himself even cites Last Action Hero as the beginning of the end of his film career. And I kind of feel bad for him that this movie tanked. You know, we already said it. I mean, we grew up on the guy, but 
it, it became kind of a cultural joke too that Arnold finally fucked up. And you know, I'm thinking of that Simpsons scene with Chief Wiggum and Rainier Wolfcastle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know the scene I'm talking about where he's like, I know the character, not not the scene. He, yeah, I mean, it, he the chief the chief is like, what was, what was with that last movie? Magic ticket, my ass, McBain. And uh, Rainier Wolfcastle's like, oh, my giant heart is breaking. I'll be in the Humvee. <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, it, 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 it took a lot of shit and maybe rightfully so in some cases, but I, I don't think, I, I don't think it, it deserved getting flamed on, on Simpsons certainly, but. So I figured it out as you were talking of last action hero two and what I would want to see, because it did break my heart when you said that, you know, it was like the final, um, the beginning of the end of Arnold Schwarzenegger's career, because he did, man, he was my childhood, right? Like, and I almost want to see him shine on screen again. So you have last action hero two, where you have another action hero get released into the real world, doesn't know how to act, feels like everybody's an enemy, is going bonkers. It could be like The Rock, it could be whoever you want, just going batshit insane. And so somebody shows up, maybe Danny again, and gets Jack Slater back out. And so Jack Slater has to bring that actor back into the movie world. He's got to like kidnap him and bring him back in to write everything. I think it would, I fucking would just love a last action. I think this is the third time I brought up the sequel. Mm-hmm. I want another. Did you ever see, I know this is off, uh, kind of off topic. Did you ever see the last stand where he's, uh, where Arnold, it's like his first movie after he was um, the governor. Is that the one with, uh, the one with Johnny yes. Knoxville? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So did you see that? I think so, but I could not tell you a, a thing about it. <laughs> it's like an, I would say it's like an hour into the movie, maybe 45 minutes before Schwarzenegger does anything badass. And there's this, it's just the scene where he, he's a cop and he's nice and all this and all that. And then, um, you know, the, the criminals descend upon his little town and this, this guy's getting this, like farmer, this old man farmer's getting, getting fucked with and roughed up. And he just comes speeding out of nowhere in his, in his big ass fucking <laughs> truck and he's got a shotgun hanging out of the window and i i remember being like the whole movie the first 45 minutes i'm like man i just wanted to do something awesome i just want to do something badass <laughs> and then he does and and i i was like almost i got full body goosebumps when it happened and like i was almost moved to tears i know that's really stupid now that i'm saying it out loud but i was i was because it was like, yeah, he's back. One film that I was going to recommend for Second Chance Cinema that he did was Maggie in 2015. I don't know if you've seen that, MC. Uh, I've heard about it. That's like where his daughter becomes a zombie or something. Yeah, check it out. I always like when we do movies that hit once in a specific way when you watch them the first time, most likely as a kid years ago, and then hit a completely different way, but equally as good when we watch them again for the show. So final thoughts, Lee, let's go with you. Final thoughts on The Last Action Hero? Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh, (laughs) uh-huh. Yeah. I don't know, man. I I, I think, like I said at the beginning, this movie's just luscious to watch. I think, I don't think the cinematography for this movie gets enough love. So many indelible moments, none more so than the, the helicopter elevator sequence. ACDC's video music video. Oh Big yeah. Bang. It's fucking great. Yeah. I, I don't know, man. I, uh, I don't know. So the, I, I mean the, the, I forgot about the ACDC music video. Is that, is it in the video or is it in the, um, actual movie where he like lights his cigar with the dynamite? That's, on that's dynam- in both. Oh, that's is it? Both. Okay, yeah. That's so opening uh, when he for when Danny first like falls into his car and the guy throws the like rolled up sticks of dynamite and he 
he turns the car on just two wheels so that he can reach the dynamite. Oh, right, lights, right, right, yeah. Lights his stogie and then just throws it. I, and it's funny because, like, in the Fast and the Furious bullshit now, they actually do that and, like, they're serious about it. <laughs> and here where, you know, like, they're, they'll be flying cars to space or driving cars on two wheels or whatever, jumping cars over mountains. And here it was very clearly a, a send-up. And I hesitate to call it a brilliant movie, but in some ways it kind of is. And maybe I hesitate because I'm not sure what the intention was. And like we keep saying, it's, you know, it was a movie that really didn't quite, or at least it, it came across like it didn't quite know what it wanted to be. But man, watching it again was really, really just fun and really, really like a unique experience. Everything from the, the meta stuff to the commentaries on society to just like you said, the overall look and aesthetic of the film was just kind of like, it was just a good, good overall experience. Bro, your final thoughts. I just, I look forward to Last Action Hero 2 when everybody, when somebody, you know, decides that that's a good thing. I mean, it's, you bring it up Fast and the Furious, it's kind of like somebody's gotta, you know, bring this whole like spoofing of the action because people are still taking those movies seriously. Well, we're in the, like, we're in the space now where like, it's scary movie, right? Like, is sort of like the definitive spoof franchise and I don't remember when the last one of those was but you know then they had the whole like disaster movie or what were epic movie or hero movie or whatever they were so those are very clearly spoofs and it's very very it's a tough line to toe when you're trying to make like a legitimate movie but also a movie that can kind of take the piss out of itself Um, because Fast and Furious definitely doesn't do that and that's why it's become so ridiculous yeah absolutely it's like everything making billions of dollars now it's kind of like Jurassic World right is they're taking themselves seriously when it's just becoming kind of a mockery of what it was like and that's how fast the furious is so it's I need another movie to kind of like set things right and be like, no, no, no. Hollywood doesn't believe in everything that it's doing. <laughs> and you would, uh, you would, you would cast The Rock. I think I would cast The Rock. I, I, I don't disagree. I think I don't know that there can be a. I mean, he would be the perfect sort of foil to himself in that role. I think Lee. Any? Would you? Would you agree with that? Or do you have anyone else in mind for Last Action Hero Two? Sheesh. I think bringing Jason Statham in would be fun. He actually. <laughs> so there's a movie. This is extreme. And and strenuous, um, but there's a movie called Spy, which was like a very kind of just stupid, silly comedy mm-hmm. movie with uh, Melissa McCarthy, and he's in it, and he plays a spoof character of himself, and it's hilarious. He is the nice. sole reason, from what I recall, to watch that movie, and he's a very like bit part kind of, but it's exactly what you're saying. It's like him. It's like him as whatever his character's name is in the movie, taking the piss out of all the Jason. Statham characters that he's ever played. Um, but again, it's it's purely for comedy. It's not this like dichotomy of legitimate action and legitimate witty comedy, which only the last yeah. action hero seems to be. So yeah, I think it's uh, unfortunately I, I would I would watch an, another one, but I think it would get lost in the you know it would just become it would become a meme, but not picture the bad guy being like Wesley Snipes from Demolition Man, <laughs> you know, like just this guy that goes around and, like kicks people in the face because he's allowed to in the action movies. And then Jack Slater has to come in and get him. I think it would be amazing. Uh-huh. I'd be, I mean, 
I, and it's funny, like I would, I would, it'd be interesting too. And they kind of did this with um, the rundown where let's see. So that was the rock's first major action movie, the rundown. And in the opening scene, he's walking into a club that Arnold Schwarzenegger walks out. It does. It's not um, like he doesn't, he's not introduced to Schwarzenegger. It's just him. You see him and you're like, Oh, that's Arnold Schwarzenegger. And he says something like good luck in there or something like that. Notice how I'm avoiding a Schwarzenegger impression at all costs because I'm, <laughs> oh, I'm falling back on my Gary Sinise. That is my bread and butter, and I'm going to keep that going forward. I don't need to dive in anywhere else. Um, but he says something like, good luck in there. And I remember when it came out, it was like probably around like the early 2000s, and it was sort of like a weird like passing of the torch kind of thing. So seeing like if there was a way to get Jack Slater and whoever the Rock's character would be in a Last Action Hero-esque movie that would be yeah i i'd camp out all night for tickets to that show honestly i think it's crazy that they haven't done something together it's they haven't, haven't i don't they? know i mean other than that scene that you're talking about no you're right they haven't i was thinking I think it's expendables but no i guess not i think it's bonkers that they haven't you know and that's the other thing dude the rock the rock makes so many dumb movies like he doesn't have his he doesn't have a commando. He doesn't have a running man. He doesn't have he doesn't have one where you're like that was fucking like you could put him in dread. I don't think he would fit very well, but um like in the movie or in the suit. In the yeah, well both. <laughs> I mean, but like, uh, yeah, he hasn't. And I mean, what's the best action movie of the last 15, 20 years? Dread, maybe Green Room. I know, I know you're a fan of uh, the Raid trilogy. Um, I mean, it's, it's, they're not made, they're not made like that anymore with the, the one, the one big dude. I guess Hobbs and Shaw would be the closest thing, but that, that movie looks ridiculous and got terrible reviews. <laughs> uh, no, you're right. I get it. There's no, I mean, he's, he's not Schwarzenegger. He's The Rock. Yeah. But that said, the novel. Novelty and the potential would be interesting to see. So Last Action Hero, if you've not seen it, check it out. If you have seen it, check it out again. See if you can decide what the captain is saying when he um, delivers his angry monologue at the end. See if see if everything that we read and transcribed was accurate. But most importantly, thank you for listening to this episode of Second Chance Cinema. Um, if you feel so inclined, follow us on social media. Send us some requests or suggestions, criticism critiques, recipes, whatever you feel like. And we want to thank again, Lee Charles, co-host of Spro and Lee Take on the Academy, another fine podcast that you can check out. Uh, I want to thank him for being here. I want to thank Spro, my co-host as always. And uh, again, want to say thank you for joining us on another episode of Second Chance Cinema. We will catch you next time. Peace. Bye. It's working again. And you know the cost of that dough is coming right out of your meager but undeserved paycheck. Only kind I got to save the Eagle Foundation doing the fucking tango up and down that Hershey Highway. Put a sock in it. I don't care who does what to your Hershey Highway. And stop shouting. I'm not deaf. You know why you're shouting? Because it's in the script. You had the comic relief. Yes. And you know what else? I am the hero. So shut up!
Thank you for listening to this episode of Second Chance Cinema. If you have any comments, questions, corrections, or would like to recommend a movie for a future show, you could reach us at secondchancecinema at gmail.com. That's 2ndchancecinema at gmail.com. We have a Second Chance Cinema Facebook group. You could find us on Twitter at MCNSpro or check us out on Instagram at 2ndchancecinema. To help our little show out, please tell your friends about us. Leave a review wherever you listen and be sure to subscribe and download each episode you listen to as those simple steps makes us much more visible in the universe, which makes these fine secret cinematic masterpieces more visible. And isn't that really the whole point? Now go on and have a beautiful day, you wonderful person, you. And if it's not a beautiful day outside, stay in and rediscover a gem from the past. Slater can't lose, never has, never will!